The Spirit of God is moving upon His people and He is raising up a generation that is prepared for power that will touch this world. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. You are now listening to the last day's return of the historic faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the Reality Radio Network on Telstar 5 Transponder 5 and on the internet at realityradionetwork.com. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to tonight's edition of the Q-Files. For the record, it's a live broadcast. It's the 20th of February. The year is 2006, and uh, aren't we all happy campers tonight? The metals are up in the aftermarket. As you know, the U.S. market was closed today. Gold's uh, 555.70, silver's 9.52, platinum's 1,024, and palladium is 288. Now, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have Tom Horn on to talk about the fourth installment of Psychotronics and Transhumanism. Steve, is Tom on now? Just a second, Steve. Okay. Uh, we're trying to get him on right now, I guess I should say. seems like whenever he and I try to get together, there's always something or someone that uh, does something that just makes it difficult. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I want to make sure that you understand that this four-part series will be made available, and we hope that we'll have a better connection this time. Hi, Tom. Hi, Steve. Thanks for inviting me back on. Well, really good. Now, again tonight, because this will be the last time I think we deal with this subject matter for a while, provided we get through it, yeah. the bottom line is go ahead and start into where you wanted to make the points that we we're unable to make on the last show. Okay. Uh, just uh, pick it right up where we were. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, we have been talking about um, uh, psychotronic warfare, of course, uh, which can mean a couple of things. One, it can mean machines that are developed, uh, super weapons that are developed uh, by men for the purposes of uh, debilitating the natural capacity of the human body to be able to function, either by uh, distorting uh, brain waves, uh, low-frequency waves, auditory signals, even sense of smell and touch, to be able to manipulate those things in such a way that it would cause a person to become uh, unable to function normally. We had also talked about, in psychotronic warfare, however, uh, as Christians, it, it goes to a much deeper level, because we also recognize not only those who on the surface might build their weapons, but those beings behind them, the spirits that in the Bible 
are identified are identified as having an interest in warring for the control of our minds and for control of our flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, but, but even much more than that, for the control of civilization entirely, the quest for a new world order, a, a world order outside of the uh, shalom, outside of the design of God, outside of the natural balance of the will of God for the earth and for humanity and for the other living species on this planet. Now, at the end of the last program, we had alluded to the fact that uh, when these watchers, these powerful fallen angels that, as you had said, are identified uh, around the world in the mythos of, of basically every uh, civilization has their own way of telling the story of the watchers, that when these beings devised their stratagems to distort or manipulate uh, people, and in particular the people of God in the Old Testament, that their psychotronic warfare uh, included, for some reason that we've talked about a little bit and we'll probably talk about some more tonight, the, it included the incarnation, a devious incarnation uh, in and through persons who allowed themselves, just as theoretically men might be doing today, to be changed at the genetic level so that uh, they are no longer potential vessels of the Holy Spirit, but that now they are suitable hosts for the incarnation of powerful uh, demonic forces that have been and are today uh, at war with God. Now, you know, of course, the idea that uh, this kind of transgenic effort was going on in the Old Testament, and, and by that I mean the idea that we're talking about a real uh, science, a real interruption of the human race as opposed to just mythology. Uh, the idea that it was actually happening is difficult. Uh, for a lot of people to be able to accept that the myths are more than a myth, if you know what I mean. Um, Absolutely. You cannot have myth without fact. And let me share this, Tom. I find it interesting that modern science accepts on minimal evidence and builds their case on minimal evidence and minimal, minimal finds stuff that they absolutely deny in uh, reality. In other words, they'll accept the most obscure thing, especially you see it in anthropology, versus voluminous amounts of historic writings by the world's most famous historians who are quoted in one can context when it supports their assumptions, but when it goes beyond their assumptions, especially with giants and fallen angels and, and chimeras or chimeras, the half-animal-human hybrids, those people become uniquely si uh, silent and then basically say, well, that's not good science. So I think what, what you and I have both tried to do uh, in our own websites and in the books we write is show that there's just too much evidence, historic and otherwise, to deny what we're talking about. And, and not only that it did happen, uh, you know, but since you bring up you know, modern scientists, and, you know, there is a, obviously there is a discipline among scientists that things have to be peer-reviewed and proven over and over and so on uh, before it can be accepted as good theory um, or even as good history. 
the interesting thing is that you have, among scientists and among uh, researchers, you have different levels. You have those that are in the know, and you have those that are outside the know. And sometimes the disciplines only apply to those who think they're in the know. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, but, but then there are those who are over them, and these are the guys that often tend to be uh, not only scientifically minded but esoterically minded uh, because they are in communication with uh, multidimensional beings who have a, a knowledge of science. And, of course, this is, when you're talking about the Nephilim, this is a great part of the story of the fall of the Watchers and the Nephilim as it is repeated through Enoch and Swedepigrapha and Apocryphal and the Bible and other books around the world, that uh, what they offered in exchange for human genetic material was weapons technology, and not just weapons technology, but astronomy, astrology, uh, mind-reading techniques. I mean, uh, people ought to go and read these books. Just go to, the, go to the local Christian bookstore and buy a Dewey version of the Bible or buy the Apocryphal books and read these texts with some sense that there could have been something real uh, behind the, the stories as they are repeated in stories of mythology. And, and, and what you'll find is stunning when you compare it to what's going on uh, today. And uh, so we have a hard time believing that it could have actually happened in, in, in the Old Testament. I think we have, as you're bringing up, Steve, we have an even harder time. And this includes Christians. This includes Bible prophecy students. They have a difficult time believing that the world could actually see a reincarnation again in the end of time of uh, the Nephilim, the, a return of the giants. I mean, that it goes outside of our indoctrinated brains to be able to believe that that's possible. But what I would say to people is just, well, first of all, just look at what scientists are doing now with transgenics the blending of animal and human DNA. And then think back about how much this sounds like, and sometimes identically like, what the Watchers and the Nephilim were doing, and how that was part of their uh, attempt at war uh, against God. Think about what was happening that led up to the days of Noah, and that Jesus said that in the last days, uh, as it was in the days of Noah. We would see a repeat of the activity that was occurring in the days of Noah. And, of course, as you know, Steve, in my opinion, I believe that Isaiah also talks about a repeat of the days of Noah and that he specifically refers to a return of the Gaborim. And while I'm on that point, we last, in our last broadcast, uh, we were also discussing how not only could uh, today's scientists uh, alter their subjects genetically. We already see that happening. We know that it's a good science. It's not theoretical. It's happening right now. And even the secular press is reporting it. Uh, but, but in the Old Testament, we were talking about how maybe the same thing was occurring, and in particular we mentioned Nimrod, uh, who the scripture in Genesis says that he began to be a Gaborim. And I had been saying that I read into that uh, and I thought I was being a good student of biblical interpretation, that it could at least be theoretically possible that uh, something had began happening to, uh, to Nimrod, that in the same way that the Watchers came down and took mature women, not babies, not embryos, uh, not genetic matter that wasn't yet born, they took mature women, 
and some way they changed them so that then they could become suitable hosts through which they incarnated themselves in human flesh upon the earth. I think there's many, many scholars, Steve, that would agree uh, with that theory, and so I had said that maybe something of that same order had began happening to Nimrod, and that it seemed to be possibly indicated in that text that he began to be a Gaborim. That is, that something during the course of his life, something happened. He began uh, to, to change. And then, of course, um, I think either during uh, that last radio broadcast or following that uh, radio broadcast, you and I both um, had received uh, an email uh, that had uh, challenged whether or not uh, the Gaborim in that text could be interpreted as meaning that Nimrod was becoming uh, a, a, a Nephilim. And so uh, during the week, I contacted a few people and uh, sent some emails, got some responses, and, uh, and I found that the way I was interpreting that text is in fact the position of, doc of people like Dr. Chris Ward, it's the position of Dr. Donald C. Jones. It's the position of Chuck Missler. It's the position of Mark Eastman. It's the position of Dr. Ronald Brown of the Baptist Theological Seminary and, and others. And I don't know if you know this, Steve, but uh, in, the, uh, in the spring edition of Mysterious World magazine two years ago, they did a feature article uh, on the Old Testament Nephilim, and they even quoted quite a bit of your work, Steve, uh, on giants. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and their summary, after uh, reviewing the best scholarship from around the world on this subject, uh, and they provide a very long bibliography uh, at, the end of that, uh, of, at the end of that featured uh, article of their quoted expert sources, uh, they concluded this, and I quote, they said, there is a prima facie case for supposing both the Nephilim and the Gaborim are to be regarded as the offspring of the watchers or the fallen angels, end quote. Well, and, and that doesn't come as a surprise to me. But here's the thing, Tom. I've learned something. You know, one of the most powerful statements that Jesus made that is glossed over is what you referred to, Matthew 24, 37. Jesus talking about in, just as in the days of Noah. So it would be in that time period leading up to the coming of the Son of Man. But the other thing that Jesus said that just I go back to it every day of my life, I promise you, every day I think of this. Jesus said, to speaking to the people of his day that should have known the power of the scripture, especially when they claim to be righteous by it, the bottom line is he said, if I've told you earthly things and you believe me not, how can I tell you heavenly things? And, and you know, as I've, I've gone through that word by word, Jesus basically says, if you can't believe what you see with your own eyes, then how can I tell you of the heavenly things that affect what you see with your own eyes? Well, and in particular, what that email, uh, what it said that, that kind of made the case that the uh, Gaborim, and I, I want to tell you this because this was one of the powerful things that Dr. Jones told me, that the uh, Gaborim, um, the, the way the case was made that the Gaborim could not be referred, uh, referring to Nephilim in all cases, or maybe even in most cases, uh, was because Gaborim, according to the email re we sent, is a um, generic term uh, for, you know, a great warrior, a strong warrior, a mighty uh, person uh, on the battlefield. But never used in the context of David and his mighty men. David's what? mighty men were men of valor. 
Well, men of valor, but 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 here was the point that Jones said to me, and he didn't even take time to look it up. I said the the, the email suggests that um, David's men on the battlefield were referred to as Gaborim, and uh, he didn't even take time to look it up. He said, "Well, he said that may be the case because he said in 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 the ancient Hebrew, uh, if you put yourself in their social uh, structure, he said um, David." Uh, and and others uh, might have used such terms because they would assert praise uh, upon their best soldiers as having fierceness on the battlefield that might only typically otherwise be referred to as the power of the gods. In other words, uh, in much the same way as the sports teams, uh, you know, take to themselves historical and mythological beings like the Titans and whatever to to show how powerful they are on the sport field. Uh, and, and and also in the same way that you might see comedians today who uh, might talk about somebody they want to give them great praise, they refer to them as a god, or they refer to a beautiful woman as a goddess. Uh, and Jones was making the case that this was part of the, this could be part of the social language uh, that the Gaborim might sometimes be used by a, a Hebrew or a king or whatever not because they were identifying them necessarily as, in fact, a god. What they were saying was that their heroes were equal to the gods or maybe maybe even more powerful to the gods on the battlefield. Kind of the same, uh, taking the Old Testament scripture, have I not said that ye are gods, that there are, there are places in which these words might be used to imply a, a power or a capacity or something that God gives us that makes us equal or even surpassing in authority uh, to our enemies, but 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 that but that what is not meant is that David's uh, warriors, uh, you know, were nephilim. Well, so, obviously, Tom, I think you know, I think we got to go on from this because I okay. think it's getting us bogged down. But okay. here's the deal: given the basic context of I am, as you know, the the ending means one who is like. When it's dealing with the Anakim, or the sons of Anak, which were the sons of the giants, people can argue and split hairs, but what we're faced with right now in psychotronics and what we're faced with in transhumanism is the fact that we every day are bombarded, whether you're picking up the stories and publishing them on Raiders or I'm picking them up, every day we're, we're, we're being bombarded with there is a group that believes that humanity fails and that they are going to create what Hitler tried to create in the Ubermensch or the Supermen, they are actively going to enhance mankind. Um, that's the guys on the left hand. Then on the guys on the right hand, some of the most brilliant men in the world, of which Kurzweil is one of them, uh-huh. states that a the, he believes a time will come when uh, super intelligence computers will take on sentience. In other words, they'll have self-awareness, and they'll also take on spirituality. Right. Now, if anybody with half a brain, and, and, you know, I'd like to think that, again, that the people that are listening to this program are following us, the point is, is that what they're talking about is the basis of something that is going to be in place of or a replacement for mankind. And that replacement means you have to get rid of mankind. And that's why all the genetically altered diseases and viruses and everything else and the enhanced super soldiers of our day are already out there. Right. And so I think that the point that it's, you know, we can argue over what Gaborah means and, and with all due respect to the guy that challenged it, uh, you know, you know, he's one and there's 50 experts against him. So, you know. Well, so- 
So getting back then, and, and I appreciate you, Steve, always getting me back on the trail, and by now your listeners are aware of the fact that you always have to get me back on the trail. So, <laughs> Well, no, I want you to get to the... Listen, okay. i got to tell you something. You can sum up my entire interview style as this. Give me the bottom line if you want to fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks. But people need to have the bottom line because, okay, here's the bottom line. This stuff is going on. This stuff is going to have incredible power over and effects upon the people. The people of God who trust in the Lord with all their heart, lean not into their own understanding and all their ways acknowledge Him. We have the promise that God will give us the supernatural protection. He already gave it to us in, in the book of Ephesians. He's already declared that not knowing the nature of the enemy will cause many to stumble and fall. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're all about. We're not here to hash over what the seminaries talk about. We're not here to hash over what the evening vomit brokers talk about. That's mainstream news, Tom. We're here to talk about the, if you will, the ideas, the mentality, the objects and the desires of the, what I call, technologically decadent individuals who have yielded themselves to these supernatural entities, and together, their joint venture is the replacement of mankind. Now, how's that for the bottom line? Wow. In fact, just as you were talking, I'm thinking, well said. I could just go ahead and hang up now. <laughs> no, no, no. I want you to detail, well, though. Yeah. And, and, and the only reason that I w even wanted to make that case, and I'm done with it and I won't repeat any, any more of it, was that there could, of course, be some people out there who might discredit what you and I are talking about because they're being told that it couldn't possibly, that the Gaborim or that Nimrod was becoming an Ephilim couldn't possibly be true because the Gaborim is a generic text. And I only want them to know that, that that's one way to interpret it, but that there are many PhDs who disagree and that these are intelligent scholars uh, who uh, believe that something else was going on there. And it goes now then to what we want to talk about moving forward, and that is the genetic altering of the human species and why. And so when you're talking about Kurzweil and all these other guys and, the, and transhumanism and the future of the human race, on the uh, surface, much of this looks like a really good idea. Wow, we're going to cure all of our diseases. We're going to live to be 10,000 years old. We're going to be super beings. And that's all fine and dandy, but maybe this was going on once before in, in the human race. And it requires the altering of the human species to become something different than what God made. And why? Why would there be supernatural powers, according to the uh, Old Testament, according to resources outside of the Bible? Why were the watchers so interested uh, in that whole idea? What did it mean in the Old Testament? What might it mean in our very near future, or maybe even uh, today? The history of the Nephilim is a story of genetic modification for the purposes of creating super-soldiers that you referred to a moment ago. In fact, the word meaning uh, genetics is actually tied to the Nephilim. Uh, I want people to hear something, Steve, that you wrote in your terrific book, Genesis 6 Giants. Please give me just a moment to quote this. On pages 128 and 129, you wrote this. You wrote, when the Greek Septuagint was, was created, the Hebrew word Nephilim was translated into Greek as Geganus. This is the same word used in Greek mythology for the Titans, creatures created through the interbreeding of the Greek gods and human beings. The English word genes and genetics are built around the same root word as genia, meaning breed or kind. Thus, the choice 
of this word, again, suggests a genetic component to the creation of these giants. Wow, Steve, that you talk about nailing the, the, hitting the nail on the head. Now, just a few paragraphs down from that, you said it is completely possible then that modifications in human genetic components might create a very different being from human DNA. A hint of what might result from such a modification was seen in April 1997 when scientists at John Hopkins University in Baltimore revealed that they had discovered a gene in mice, which they call growth differenti differentiation factor 8, GDF8, when mice cells were altered uh, genetically to delete this gene. The creatures that were conceived from these altered eggs grew enormous muscles. By the way, I remember all of this. We ran these stories at Raiders News Update. They became super mice for all practical purposes. The scientists wrote in the, in the science journal uh, Nature, we disrupted the GDF8 uh, gene by gene targeting in mice. The mice target, uh, lacking the gene are significantly larger than wild-type animals and show a large and widespread increase in skeletal muscle mass. Individual muscles of mutant animals weigh two to three times more than those of wild-type animals, end quote. I want to recommend to people that they buy that book, Genesis 6 Giants. Um, as I was doing research this week, Steve, I was stunned at how many places and how many journals Sometimes uh, people who only quote the, the, the highest, most respectable resources were quoting from your book, Genesis 6 Giants, and I want to highly recommend it because it will go more into the, that side of the detail. But the whole point is we uh, can illustrate that through uh, today, through science, genetic modification, that beings... In this case, mice were the test subjects. There have been others since then, and there are others in black budgets that most of the public or, you know, most people don't know anything about or could believe that, that, that there are beings of super strength, giants, that can be manufactured and that this technology exists today, but this technology was also hinted at with regard to the Nephilim, and that is the connection you make between Geganus and the word for genes or genetics. Um, the, 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 the whole point being, Steve, that, uh, in fact, that article that was quoting you uh, over in the Serious World, they kept using the term homo artificialis. I like that, homo artificialis, uh, artificial humans, fake humans. The, the whole point being that genetically manufactured mankind was not what God made, and that these were beings who were woven together, according to extra-biblical texts, woven together through a process of genetic experimentation. They were literally patched together from various different kinds of pre-existing uh, animal species and human species, and that the DNA... Uh, was spliced together uh, in order to create uh, a breed of humans that possessed the, whatever the specific characteristics were that they needed. We talked about um, how uh, perhaps this meant they were being made so that, like animals, they can see the spirit world and therefore choose to uh, interact with the spirit world. And this brings us to a level of psychotronic warfare on the battlefield beyond which most people couldn't even possibly imagine. I would tell your um, uh, audience, though, that earlier when we were referring to David, keep in mind that David's mighty men killed the Nephilim. David's mighty men defeated uh, those transgenically modified enemies of the kingdom of God. So God can give to believers 
a capacity for spiritual and even physical, if necessary, warfare that supersedes the beings that can be uh, created, because when God when God is for us, who can be against us? You know, a thousand will flee. Um, but these beings were meddling with the creation of God for a specific reason. They were trading warfare uh, technology uh, and even mind control technology with the enemies of God in order to harvest uh, genetic material so that these homo artificialis uh, 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 creatures could create these these vehicles, these portals, these human stargates, these facilitators uh, through which, fit extensions, through which they could extend themselves uh, into the uh, physical world. And so now the, the question is, you know, are we living in a day and age where science, wittingly or unwittingly, Steve, uh, is taking us back to that same uh, point in time? Are they taking us back to a moment in time for purposes maybe beyond their own understanding, where they are in communication what, with what they believe to be uh, superintelligent extraterrestrials who present themselves as being uh, eons ahead of us in terms of evolution, uh, but that for whatever reason they need to harvest human DNA to create for themselves uh, three-dimensional expressions because they're at some point in their evolution where there, there are so many dimensions above us we can't even, they can't even be perceived. Or, or they're a bunch of intergalactic pornographers <laughs> that basically have been on a, you know, uh, some kind of isolated planet too long. You know, it's kind of funny because, and, and I, I mean that tongue-in-cheek, but also if you look at it, think about it. These guys have to come from, uh, you know, millions or billions of light years away to come to an Earth, to mess around with Earth women, and now even technologically advanced, fast forward in the future, they're still coming here to mess around with Earth women. And if the Earth women aren't available, they'll settle for animals, yeah. i.e. all of the uh, different uh, cattle mutilations and everything else. Tom, what I think is amazing, and, and this is something that uh, people have got to understand, this, if, if they'll look at their Bible, 2 Corinthians 11 talks about the Satan and his angels, Paul speaking, can transform themselves. That literally means change their shape and form. Shapeshifters. Uh, uh, yeah, shapeshifters. And, you know, when, when even the angels went into Sodom to visit it prior to it being destroyed, Abraham knew they were special, but they also ate with him. And, you know, what's fascinating to me is that Again, it's amazing that people want to hang out and say they believe God, yet they won't go to Colossians and read, uh, you know, the entire scripture and find out that the, the word of the Lord is that the things that we see, the, the physicality of our universe and of our created state, by the way, that word in the book of Jude, as you know, means literally arche, or from which we get the word archaeology, which we get the word archon from, but they wouldn't stay in that estate. In other words, they wouldn't stay where God wanted them to be. And this is the, the uh, fascinating thing, that now we've got angels that basically uh, left their first estate, Jude says, and came to earth, cohabited with earth women. Let me make this clear. Every time you and I do a uh, show on this, I get emails saying, Jesus said in heaven they are neither given nor taken. 
in marriage but are as the angels. That's the whole point. These guys didn't stay in heaven. They didn't keep in their estate. Go look it up in the concordance if you want to see what I'm saying is true. And the fact is is that they came down as the watchers. They commingled themselves with a seed of men initially to destroy the promise of Genesis 3.15, to corrupt the bloodlines. They did it before the fall. They did it after the fall. And now they're doing it in the scientific, technological arena. And you know what you said about trading weapons, trading weapons for genetic material. You know, for a lot of years, people couldn't understand why the U.S. gave Egypt so much money in weapons, okay? And basically, it's to buy their silence because dealing with the pyramids on the Giza Plateau is a whole different story than dealing with what's been found underneath the Giza Plateau. Right. And, and I think it's fascinating that uh, guess who taught them that trick, you know? You're talking to, about basically a barter element that deals in men's souls. And we know in the book of Re Revelation that this end time period is dealing or trafficking in men's souls. They're coming from the darkness. Over 6,000 years ago, the citizens of Mesopotamia encountered them. Down through time, tens of thousands of people on every continent of the world have etched their likeness on the walls of caves, chiseled statues of them from solid stone, and prayed prayers to their highest gods to be delivered from them. But prophecy says they will return, and at a time when Babylon modern Iraq and Iran is invaded and destroyed. This spring, exclusively from RaidersNewsUpdate.com, we'll tell you what you need to know about them. In the book-length ebook, Stargates, Ancient Rituals, and Those Invited Through the Portal. Well, and, and when you're talking about, you know, these, these beings present themselves as being some kind of super intelligence, and, and you, I think you refer to them as intergalactic pornographers. By the way, Steve, every time I talk to you, whether it's on the phone or on your radio program, I like to take a little notepad and write down some of the things you say because <laughs> you have a dry wit. Now, I, I don't hear you laugh very often, but you sure do make me laugh sometimes that, because there is a profound uh, sarcasm sometimes that you use to repudiate. The, the irrationalism of some people's way of interpreting history and scripture, and it, I just find it hilarious. I love it. One of my emailers basically told me, he said, he appreciated my attempt at humor. Well, <laughs> so I, I'll leave that out, but I've got I've to admit to be absolutely pragmatically cynical. Because... <laughs> well, I wonder sometimes, you know, I think, oh, I can't see Steve's face. I don't know if he's smiling or not, but he sure is making me smile. Well, you know, the bottom line is, let me read this, because I think that people need to hear this. It's Second Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. It's, it's germane to what we're talking about. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That word transformation in the Greek is, you know what, what the, word, the word is, is metamorphosi. Mm -hmm. So basically, what we're talking about isn't, quote, 
the criticism science fiction Christianity, Christianity tells the truth. But don't you marvel at all of the sci-fi movies that are out there that are giving us glimpses? Tom, how do you think, though, I, I know you know the answer, this is a rhetorical question. How do you think those guys in Hollywood get that kind of information? Well, because it trickles down to them. Good answer. They, they, they know uh, people who know people who know people in somewhere at a much higher level. Uh, because, you know, these guys are wealthy, they attend parties together, the, the people in Hollywood attend parties with some of the uh, elected officials and military persons and, and, and persons who are running Monsanto and all the rest of it. And little, you know, people, people get drunk at these parties and they, they whisper little things they're not supposed to. And over a period of time, pieces of information began leaking out. That's the way it's always been. And then uh, investigative journalists, reporters like me and you, we, we grab what we think sounds uh, right, and we do additional investigative research, and we dig under every rock we can find until we find out uh, whether somebody was just bragging or whether there was some basis in truth. And sometimes we find that there's a basis in truth that is astounding, that, that goes beyond uh, you know much of uh, what the uh, world at large can believe. And then, of course, uh, we have to be careful what we talk about and what we say uh, in the public because uh, there are persons that will that can just make you go away if you take if you talk about things you're not supposed to but the truth is um, in God and in Christ uh, you know we're wise as serpents and harmless as doves and we talk about the things that we believe that we can talk about knowing that there is a God in heaven until he's done with me and until he's done with you there is nothing on earth that can touch us and so we, we, you know, we use wisdom and we use prudence, uh, but we continue to report sometimes that what is being conveyed uh, by Hollywood elite or in their movies or in their television programs, that in some instances, it's just like a minute ago when I said there, there's more reality to the myth than the myth, that there was more that was actually happening there than just mythology, and sometimes that's true in our contemporary world, that there are things behind the scenes that are actually occurring that inspire those guys who then go out and invest millions of dollars in the productions of films and television. And then, of course, there's one other uh, element, and, and then I'll get off of this, but that's public indoctrination. Sometimes there is a need to be able to prepare the population at large for what might be coming, and that's that's the history of the world. I mean, that has happened on so many occasions. It's part of our psychological warfare units. Uh, we do it on the foreign battlefield, and we also do it uh, with the American public, which, of course, uh, then would bring us back to psychotronics and, and whatever. But there's also an, an, another element that I want to bring out, Steve, and, and that is that when you, when you talk about um, the angels and, of course, the, the, uh, the scripture, uh, Jude, uh, Peter, refer to those angels who kept not their first estate. They didn't stay in their habitation. That's why there's a difference between when Jesus says the angels that are in heaven neither marry nor are they given in marriage, because we're not talking about angels in heaven. We're not talking about the angels who kept their estate with God. We're talking about those angels who, like Peter and Jude referred to, left their habitation and, and partook of something different than what God had allowed them to partake of. Now, there's an entire study, and we certainly don't have time to talk about it tonight, but if a person will study all of the ancient mythos uh, surrounding this study of the Nephilim, the watchers who came down to the earth, the titans of Greek mythology, all of that, they'll find out that 
these beings were assigned, now in Hebrew, uh, they were assigned by God to watch over the creation of God. The watchers, to watch over the creation of God. Uh, in Greek myth and others, that story is the same, but it's distorted somewhat. The point was that those who were given authority by God to watch over the creation of God became tempted, either with their own grandiose schemes, their own ego, or the appeal of human flesh, and they came down. They descended. They left their habitation, and they came to the earth, and they began involving themselves for their own reasons, uh, in the uh, in the affairs of the earth. Now, the 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 fascinating thing, and and this was the point I wanted to make, that when you're talking about transformation, uh, you know that uh, Lucifer can transform himself. Um, that uh, sometimes we have entertained angels unaware that the angels who appeared to Abraham in the plains of memory, that they looked like men, they walked and talked like men, they could even eat food, but they were in fact angels. The fact that angels can take upon themselves physical appearance is something completely different than what the Watchers did, because they not only took upon themselves a physical appearance, they in fact incarnated themselves in human flesh. And one of the things we were talking about last week was how that activity actually led to a seed. And when Daniel uh, talks about uh, iron mixed with clay and that they will mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they will not cleave with, uh, with each other, even as iron is not mingled with clay, uh, he's talking about an end times world uh, scenario in which it sounds like, it sounds like there is something. Uh, that is uh, that is intermingling itself again with the seed of man, incarnation, in a way that it happened with the uh, with the net one because the personal pronoun there, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, uh, literally staggers the mind. Uh, the the significance there uh, is because the seed there is the Hebrew word zira, uh, which means offspring or descendants or children. It literally means physical progeny. Um, and, and, and like I said, we, we don't have time to go into that study. But the point is this, and, and here's where I want to leap to, because I, I'm not going to run out of time tonight, Stephen. If I do, then, then just never have me on your show again. <laughs> but there's an entire study regarding another name for the um, Nephilim. You've written about it. I've written about it. Let me just jump to the end line. We're talking about the Rafa, the Raphaim. The, the sense of the meaning of the Raphaim, which were Nephilim. Scholars all connect the Raphaim with the Nephilim. But this name refers to the shades of the dead, the shadows of the dead uh, in the belly of the earth. By the way, I was to give you an idea how contemporary what you're talking about. I was on the uh, Strong's Concordance online today looking at the eight instances where the word dead refers to the Rafa from which we get the word Rephaim. The dead does not mean dead people. It means a specific a group of very, very malevolent evil beings. And that's an amazing, that's a whole show in itself, but continue on. Well, that's exactly where I'm going, and I personally think, Steve, that when you do the entire study, uh, you're talking here about 
the dead Nephilim, who in this case are referred to the Rephaim, because the Nephilim are the living specimens, but when they're dead, they're referred to as Rephaim. Uh, and, but, 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 now when you look at all of the ancient text, there's this amazing story that these beings actually succeeded in incarnating themselves before the flood. When the watchers came down, they were incarnated in the Nephilim. Then the Nephilim are destroyed in the flood. But then they, uh, then they succeed at reincarnating themselves again, immediately almost, after the uh, flood. Now, are these beings, these Rephaim, these shadows in the underworld, are they in communicado with modern researchers today? Now, before people laugh me out of the studio, I'm, I'm saying this not only because Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah, I'm saying this not only because Isaiah, in my opinion, says that the gates are going to open in the end of time, and he does say that the Gaborim, however you want to interpret that, he says the Gaborim are going to come through these gates, and the Septuagint version refers to it at a time when there is war in Iraq and Iran, that these gates are going to open and these Gaborim are going to come through. Uh, so interpret that however you want. I have my way of looking at it based on what I know about many other elements of ancient history and also what we're doing in transgenic science uh, today. But I say all of that because of the history surrounding those beings and the support that that story received in the Bible, not just extra-biblical texts, but also in the Bible. Now, very quickly, and let me try to do this as fast as I can, in, in, in what's, and you may have written about this in the past, but in what is called the Roshamra text, Texts that were found uh, in uh, the uh, city of Urgarit, which is a Canaanite city, the the Rephaim, excuse me, the Rephaim, were described as being both and simultaneously as being both divine beings and also human beings, but they worshipped the Amorite god Baal. Now, on one of your earlier programs some weeks ago, we talked about how Daniel, in his description of the Antichrist, referred to the Antichrist as a person who will worship Baal, and how that much of the language there seems to tie into uh, almost what you would think of as ufology uh, today, the god of the air, the, the god who controls the spirits within the air, and, and, and also connects to what we were talking about uh, last time. But this god, Baal was, and I think you have written about this, he was a, he was a giant, he was gigantic. Uh, he, was, uh, he was referred in some uh, Amorite texts as Balu uh, the Savior, but I mean, he was so big that when some of the other gods in their mythology tried to sit on their throne, they couldn't even come up to the, to the, you know, to the seat. Uh, their heads wouldn't even reach to the seat uh, that he sat on. But he was the, he was the god of war. Uh, and uh, at his death, now, this is the important part, at his death, he went down into uh, the underworld among the spirits of the dead. And these spirits of the dead that followed him and who were committed to him were the Rephaim. And uh, they believed, they were uh, worshipped and they were believed by the Amorites 
to be uh, Baal's uh, servants in the underworld, those who accompanied him uh, down into the underworld and, and, and stood side by side with him, flanked him, if you will, by various degrees of authority, and that who also later, according to those uh, uh, that mythology, um, would be resurrected with him at some point uh, in the future. But anyway, these are the, the Rephaim, and, and because of that Amorite theology, that's why they are commonly referred to as the shades of the dead. But the Bible refers to them, too. So when we talk about the Rephaim, it isn't just Amorite uh, theology or Amorite mythology, because the scripture itself refers to these beings uh, uh, as squirming uh, in the underworld. Now, in Amorite theology, the court of Baal uh, was made up of these uh, Rephaim, uh, and the Israelites considered these Rephaim to be the same as uh, fallen spirits, demonic spirits, demon demon forces. The and, by, and by the way, that's exactly who Elijah the prophet was fighting against, the prophets of Baal. Yeah, and, and when we talk about people today knowing that, if they are true followers of Christ and have upon them the armor of God, that in every instance and in every generation where the prophets of God have come up against the prophets of Baal, the prophets of God have won the battle, and we could expect that the same thing would occur again uh, in, the, uh, in the end of time. But, but now here's the point I wanted to make. The Amorites worshipped those underworld, de uh, underworld deities, in a way that included a hierarchy. In other words, in the underworld, there were kings and lieutenants and privates and soldiers and whatever, uh, and even those who were considered to be uh, uh, heroes. In fact, there was a special class of the spirits that included specifically kings, heroes, uh, warriors, and rulers. Now, and, and this is the and this is the the important part, Steve. The meaning of the Rafa and how it fits into the concept of these underworld deities. The meaning of the Rafa means to heal, to heal, or to be healed. But when I, when I uh, sought out some different great brains on this and said, why would the Rafa, why would the meaning of that to the Amorites mean to heal? Here's what I found out. They said, since it has to do with the dead Rephaim, and since these dead Rephaim were, along with uh, Baal, resurrected in myth uh, at the beginning of each year during the rainy season, which we don't have time to talk about. I wrote about some of this in Stargate's Ancient Rituals and those invited through the portal. But since they were resurrected in myth, and since now, Steve, uh, we, we look at them as having been actually, physically, resurrected after the flood. They were incarnated before the flood. They were destroyed. They were, in, they were resurrected. Those same spirits were reintroduced to willing physical hosts uh, after the uh, flood. Since all of that is true, we're faced with the perception that the Rephaim have the capacity for resurrection through incarnation according to the myth, uh, into their kings, into the giants, uh, and all of that, but, but that these resurrections, the spirits of these ancient uh, kings and warriors, may also be those beings in the underworld now 
who are seeking some method, and one would have to think that their method has to do with the same way they did it in the past, through genetic tinkering, and that if these powerful underworld spirits are today in league with persons who are willing to entertain the idea that through altering themselves genetically through the introduction of animal DNA and human DNA and whatever, that they could become suitable hosts for a reincarnation of these spirits, that these are spirits identified in the Bible as having the potential uh, uh, to be incarnated uh, with humans today. In fact, I have in front of me one of the one of the uh, answers to one of the queries that I sent, and it says it was probable since the Rephaim giants were specifically noted as the return of the antediluvian Nephilim by Moses, that the Rephaim were in fact the reincarnations of the demonic spirits of the Nephilim giants who had been destroyed in the flood, end quote. So um, when we interpret Isaiah and the words of Christ to those who are out there listening, as indicating at least a strong possibility that we're talking about a literal end times resurrection of transgenic beings. Uh, Steve, I think we're in keeping with good theology and with ancient re records uh, that were believed and that were even often quoted uh, by uh, early church fathers, including those who uh, wrote the Bible. And again, we have to make this point clear because I'm getting emails saying, why are you talking about this stuff? Why is it relevant? That's not for your sake, Tom. I'm, I'm going to answer that. Because Jesus, the, the amount of, of emphasis that he put on the end times, this is why Jesus made the statement, except the days be shortened, there'd be no flesh left alive. That's human flesh. Except he shortened the days, and that's for the elect's sake, and then, Tom, can you imagine this? Can you imagine talking about seducing spirits, maybe what Paul understood more than, you know, just the standard Bible school answer to that? The seduction of the end times is going to be so great and so uh, all-invasive, good word there, the point is, is that, you know, this absolutely should propel us to our knees and propel us into a deeper walk, a deeper commitment, and obedience to the Lord. I'll tell you what, we deal with this stuff. This isn't just a cheap sci-fi plot. This is the battle of the ages. This is eternity as the prize. And obviously, we have so much that, that we have to, how should I say, learn to deal with in the power of the Lord. The Bible says, be strong in the power of His might. And that's what we've got to learn to appropriate by faith. And when you talk about David, or forgive me, I talk, we talk about David as mighty men of valor, there is an amazing thing that takes place there. These guys were jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Right. They had a, a love for God. When David challenged Goliath, as you know, he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine right. that defies the living God? I'm paraphrasing. So that's, I'm just trying to say this, Tom, and I don't want to take a minute away from your time, but this is relevant because these, everything we're talking about historically that we're talking about, people are going to face in the future. Well, not only that, I mean, if anybody listens to the Q files and wonders why this is relevant, it's relevant because this is what you do. You are a, you are a resource. You are a place where people go uh, who want a bit more than just a Sunday morning's Sunday school class who want to dig dig deeper than that and uh, talk about the potential 
of uh, what, what, what are we facing in the world now as it relates to uh, end times biblical prophecy. And when we're talking about genetic modification, the, the possibility that there are indicators, indicators in ancient text and also within the scripture that tell us that something was going on in this battle to destroy the shalom of God, the balance of the universe as he had created it, and that these beings uh, sought to do that in part by genetically altering the human race, that that happened back then, that it might happen today, given the abundant uh, prophecies that the end times is going to witness uh, potentially the opening of a gate, the return of a false savior, um, and that that story is told through everything from Quetzalcoatl to <laughs> Chinese mythology. Absolutely. And, um, and I mean, there's no, and let me make this statement, there is no ancient civilization that does not teach this or a derivative of it. Well, and, and all of the, all of the uh, church fathers down through time warned that the Antichrist might ultimately be conceived through, well, of course, they were talking about demoni demoniality, which is a little bit different than uh, what we think of today as genetic modification, but the fact that the Antichrist at the end of time, at length, might actually be the incarnation of a powerful demon force. In fact, in the, in the book we wrote, The Aramon Gate, uh, we take what the Apostle Paul says when he says that uh, he would be the son of perdition, and the, uh, the Greek there, perdition, apoleia, we take the Apollyon, the destroyer demon, as, uh, as having the capacity to be incarnated inside of a, a man who has been transgenically altered so that then he can become a suitable host um, uh, for that uh, demon. But whether or not that's the, that's the way it happened, the, the, the fact is it appears to me, and scholars have believed, I think, this for a long time, that the Antichrist could be uh, the, the super Nephilim of the end time. And all we're saying now is he might actually be the forerunner of the return of the Nephilim, the king of the Nephilim. And I believe it's borne out in the scripture, Steve. It is. Steve turned down the music. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this whole series will be available very soon. And, Tom, I want to thank you because, you know, again, we fight what we can uh, fight in the, in the natural, but then we thank God that he fights the battle for us. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said, and over and over and over, that behold, he gives you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Good night, Tom Horn. Amen. Bye-bye.